Today in the Multiply Podcast, we're talking about moving towards health with special guest Dan McLaughlin. Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome back or welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. And my name is David. David. Middle of summer. Middle of summer. Here we are. We got the bodies of Greek gods. Yep. Wow. Which Greek god? I got a body of a Far East Asian (laughs) god known as Buddha. (laughs) Wishful thinking. Remember remember last year when we set our goal to have a six-pack by this summer? You set that goal. (laughs) I set it for both of us. And we would have had it. That's not how goal setting works. Listen, I said this yesterday in, or the other day in my message on holiness. It's not about perfection. It's about direction. Mm. I'm, I'm not going to be perfect. I also am currently heading in the wrong direction. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to turn around one of these days. But summer's here. And we're, had it not been for coronavirus, we, we would. That's blame COVID. I do blame COVID. Hashtag blame COVID. Well... Despite the our failure to uh, meet our goals in that area, we we do have a win today. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a drastic success for the two of us. A goal we've had since we started this podcast. Right, we've been working towards this and trying to make this happen. What is happening today for a very long time, despite this person's yeah. lack of desire, of, to, evasiveness. He actually even. said to us, "I will not come on the podcast until you have at least fifteen thousand listens yeah which we have hit by the way very unexpected for francis chan to say that but (laughs) we're so oh wait that's not our guest today no next week that's that's the next (laughs) guest today we do have a good a good friend of ours um we we both uh have have worked with him spent time getting to know him a lot of a lot of lunches with him Mm -hmm. a lot of great conversations Mm -hmm. our our good friend dan mclaughlin is in studio with us today the secretary secretary treasurer of the New York Ministry Network. Newly elected. Which and bef- is way more important than it sounds. Before he jumps on, we should say this. He is, as far as we know, the youngest secretary treasurer in New York State Assembly of God history. Possibly in the history of the Assemblies of God. That is true. Although people used to live a lot uh, shorter lives, you know, <laughs> hundred years ago. <laughs> So, How long do you think these songs of God has existed? I'm just saying, back in the day, Dan being 37 He's would have been like one 100. foot in the grave. <laughs> but Dan McLaughlin, welcome to the podcast. We're so glad you're with us. Thanks, Jared. Thanks, Dave. Glad to be here. After all that, that's all you said. <laughs> the build up. He's a true. He's a true politician. He knows how not to say something dumb. <laughs> Well, Thanks Dan, for finally having me on the show. This is great. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> you've been begging us for a long time, so we're happy. <laughs> we're happy to oblige. Um, we're we're excited to have you on. Uh, before Dan uh, recently is transitioning into the role he currently serves at for years, why don't you tell us kind of um, what you were doing? You were serving in a, in a capacity as assistant to our superintendent, serving a lot of churches in upstate New York. Give us a little bit of um, kind of a brief uh, idea of what you were doing. Uh, yeah, sure. So um, I worked as the executive assistant to the superintendent, and um, one of the uh, primary functions of that role is to work with what we call supervised churches. And a lot of times these are churches that are uh, are struggling, um, maybe you're on the edge of, edge of closing, mm. and uh, we come in, um, we help uh, reset their board, uh, work with a pastor. Sometimes it's a pastor that's existing there, or sometimes it's a pastor that... Uh, the superintendent has appointed to that position, um, 
and then we work with them uh, uh, over however long they need uh, to move them towards a place of health and independence. And ultimately, the goal is for them to be uh, an independent, self-sovereign, governing church um, on their own at some point. And so um, our our process is to work th- with them through a process of health and, and help them to, um, to be successful again. And so um, we have, right now, we've got about a dozen churches in upstate New York that we're working with, uh, all at various stages in the process. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a challenging process, but it's, um, it's also very rewarding when you see a church uh, get to that place where they're ready to be on their own again and, uh, and move to a place of, of autonomy. It's really, really cool. So for our listeners, if you've seen the show Kitchen Nightmares, <laughs> Dan yeah. is basically Gordon Ramsay of church nightmares. Right. No, I'm kidding. These are not church nightmares, but these are churches that are stuck, that are struggling, and that definitely can use some help. And uh, you know, one of the things that uh, you know, our mission statement, the network that we're all a part of, is to strengthen the network of healthy leaders and healthy churches. And so, health is kind of a buzzword; it gets tossed around a lot. And today, we wanted to have you on to really talk about how do, in your experience of working with churches that are stuck, struggling. Um, how do we move churches towards health? It doesn't matter how healthy a person is. They can always probably be healthier, right? And so there's always room for growth here. And you've walked into some situations where there is some pronounced, maybe easily identified areas where uh, health can be, um, where they can move more towards health. And so uh, we know you have some thoughts on this. And so we just wanted to hear from you today. Uh, And for our listeners, whatever sort of organization or church you're leading in, I think uh, this is always going to be a helpful framework to look at your own church, your own organization. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, I think maybe it goes without saying, but we're going to say I'm going to say it anyway because I think um, it's relevant. Is is health really, really does start with the leader, and um, and so a couple of thoughts um, today here on health. And my first thought is this: is that um, health is not just vital to success in ministry. Uh, health is success in ministry. So I think a lot of times um, we think about uh, our personal health as a leader as something separate from our our capacity to function in our organizational role. Um, when really I think ministry and spiritual leadership is so much more about who we are as a person than the role we fill organizationally. And so uh, for me, when I think of of just health in ministry it's not i need to be healthy so that i can do ministry it is that my health as a leader is my ministry it flows out of how healthy i am and so it becomes uh, an extremely important uh it's not just extremely it to me it's, it's everything health is everything in ministry if i'm not healthy i don't have a ministry and i think externally you can see people who seem like they have success in ministry without being healthy personally uh, but I don't I wouldn't call that successful ministry mm. I don't think ministry is successful unless you are healthy as a leader and so to me health is paramount health is king I was thinking about I recently heard um, Jordan Peterson say it's easier for people to want to change the world than to change their own lives that's right and so I'm interested Dan why, why do you think that is why do you think the propensity that we have as humans is to not um, investigate and, uh, and kind of dive deeper into our own health when we're quick to maybe dive into the health of a church or an organization? I, uh, I think it's always easier to point the finger at somebody else. It's always easier to 
to look at what somebody else is doing wrong and it gets easier to, to not think about what, what our responsibility is to change individually, um, examining the dark places of our own heart and what's actually wrong inside of us. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's a real thing, uh, leaders struggle with. And, um, uh, when it comes though, to assessing the health of your church, it really has to start with the health of the leader. Are you, are you healthy as a leader? Because if you're not, then really everything else becomes difficult. And I, I, I remember this, um, thinking through this about a year ago when I was working with a pastor in one of our local churches and I had been working with him, uh, for a while on some initiatives that I thought would help his church grow. And, um, I finally came to the place where I just stepped back and I realized I'm focusing on the wrong things. I'm trying to help his organization, his church be healthy. When really what I should be doing is, is walking with, with him personally through a process of health. Mm. It's his personal health that's stifling the forward progress of the church as a whole. And so that was really helpful for me and really freeing for me to not, not focus on all the organizational aspects that to me were really low-hanging fruit and easy things to work on when really the big challenge in moving the church forward was the personal health of the leader. And so that changed completely our strategy in terms of how we work with him. Thank you for doing that with David, by the way. <laughs> He's been very receptive. You jerk. <laughs> uh, I think that um, this is a really important place to start because um, ministry success as measured by numbers or growth or you know some of the traditional metrics, it doesn't solve personal issues, right? If anything, it may cloak them or hide them or disguise them for a while, but it actually positions you to have more influence when it really all falls apart uh, or it really just becomes something that feeds an aspect of unhealth, right? Mm -hmm. So in your experience of working with leaders and even in your own experience of being a leader and having to come face-to-face with the areas of unhealth in your own life, when you what are some of the things that a leader should be looking for in the way that they lead, uh, in the way that they go about doing what God's called them to do that might be... Um, an indicator, a symptom of uh, unhealth that eventually could catch up with them in a worse way. So what are some things that when you see this in a leader, for you it's kind of a red flag uh, about their own heart? Sure. Well, um, my, my second point I think it, uh, is one of those things that will address that. And so uh, my second point is uh, healthy leaders ask for help. Mm. And so you could go the opposite way. Unhealthy leaders don't ask for help. Um but uh, I think, you know, it sounds really basic and it sounds really elementary, but that is the one common thread I see across all the churches I work with. The churches that are growing and moving forward, the leaders are, they not only ask for help, they seek it out, they, they beg for it, they, they research, they do whatever they can to get as much help and as much resourcing as they can. The churches that are not moving forward, I'm amazed at how little they ask for help. And they have, their their issues are compounded so much more. Why is why uh, do you think they don't ask for help? I think um, I think just very simply, it's because a lot of them, I think they they realize the twenty five things that they need to work on, and they're drowning in that. And so, if I think a lot of them feel like if they ask for help, uh, then someone's just going to point out the twenty five things that they know are already bad. Mm. And so uh, it's like it's like asking somebody who's drowning to work on their on their side stroke, you know, right. uh, you know, when they're just trying to survive. And so 
that's that's a real thing uh, for a lot of churches that are kind of on the verge of just staying open, uh, trying to move past survival and into uh, into into a place of health. But the truth is, the truth is, is that even if you are in a place where you're struggling, where you where you feel like you're drowning, um, it may it may be that you know the next 25 things that need to be done, but it also may be that the next 25 things you think need to be done are the wrong things. Yeah. yeah. And it may be, um, it may, or it may be that you know the right things to do, but you really don't know how to get there. And if you ask for help, you could get there a whole lot faster. And so, um, again, I think that's a, that's a common thread. I see that in a, if a leader's unwilling to ask for help, um, then then they're moving towards a place of unhealth. And so for our, for our churches that are supervised, uh, one of the resources we offer them is coaching. And as a network, we're willing to pay for them to have a coach, uh, all of our supervised church pastors. And I've had some pastors refuse the coaching. Mm. And, uh, and the response to me is, I already know what I need to do. I just need somebody to help me do it. Yeah. But nobody's helping me do it the way I want it to be done. That's, of course, built on a premise that that you have the right strategy or that you're focusing, you have the right priorities, right? Which is not always the case. Exactly. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, in my experience, when I'm hesitant to ask for help, it's a, it's a pride issue. Um, it can be a teachability issue. It can be a, um, independent spirit issue. Like I'm going to figure this out myself. Um, or like you're saying, sometimes it just feels like uh, if I ask for help, if I ask for help, people are just going to point out more things. Sure. I'm not doing well. So asking for help is hard. Uh, Jared, you have two of your mentors right here right now. And we just want to give you a window here to ask for help. (laughs) If anyone's listening, help, (laughs) help me. No, I was thinking as you were sharing too, I was thinking like in that, in those situations, part of it too is. Um, I think we can get into the into the mindset where we write off anybody who is, quote unquote, more successful than us. And we think, well, if I just had what they had, whether it's mm. money or that's right. I heard this one all the time, like, well, if I had that many leaders, then I would be able to do it. But what you often don't realize is that person has worked their butt off to develop those leaders. And there's maybe something about your personality or the way you lead where people don't want to work with you. Right. Which could be exposed through asking for help and, and going through that coaching process. But if you're not willing to do it, um, so this is a little bit of a sidebar, but I got a question for you, Dan. It, are those people hopeless? Because you, you know, you hear the idea like run with the runners and kind of forget everybody else. If someone is just that in their mind, I, I don't want help. I don't, should we invest and spend a ton of time trying to rescue them? Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call anybody hopeless. Um, that was a test. Yeah. <laughs> I would say uh, they'd only be hopeless to the extent that they're that they're not willing to receive the help that's there. And um, and so anybody that is in that type of situation, in that type of scenario, if they have simply the attitude shift of I'm, I'm going to be a person that asks for help, I'm going to be a person that looks for resource, I'm not going to try to do this on my own, I'm not going to try to isolate myself and figure this out on my own. Um, there's a lot of room for growth and a lot of room for forward progress, but it does take that. And that's why um, when we say our mission is is healthy uh, leaders and healthy churches, really it starts with the leader, and, mm-hmm. and we've got to address that first before we start diving into these other things. That's good. So, 
So whenever we've heard you walk in the office and call someone hopeless, we just know now that that was hyperbole. It was exaggerated because he doesn't yeah. think anybody is hopeless. Right, right, yeah. which is good to know. When you called Jared hopeless about two hours ago, that was different. Yeah, that was during my performance review, which also felt <laughs> kind of harsh. But So, so far we've talked about that health is not just a key to success, but it is success. You've talked about the healthy leaders ask for help. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that you also have a thought about uh, the importance of emotional health. Yeah, uh, and that's just emotional health is more important than we think it is. Um, and it's worth taking the time to figure it out. So I think until you start working on emotional health, uh, you don't fully realize how much your emotional health is tied to both your physical energy mm. and your spiritual vitality. And I think a lot of times in our circles, we kind of ignore emotional health or we or we put it on the side for those people that are seem like they're a little off balance. But all of us uh, are, uh, are, are emotional beings. Uh, we're creatures with souls and we have feelings and uh, those feelings are deep. Um, and it's worth taking the time to invest in our emotional health. So, um, I know that this is something I've, I've started to work on, uh, personally in the last few years. And, um, uh, the way I used to think about emotions is, um, I can't trust emotions. Emotions lead me to a place of untruth. And so I got to just, I got to repress my emotions and not feel them. Right. We too call Dan a robot behind his back. (laughs) That is true. Thank you for that. I appreciate (laughs) it. Um, and so, you know, that's one way of dealing with your emotions. Some people take their emotions and they, they just repress them. Right. Now there's other people that, uh, just vomit their emotions on everybody else around them and it makes them feel better in the moment. That is totally David. The amount of times I see him weep in front of me openly is, um, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, and so I think uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're throwing Dan off. <laughs> Robot, it's continue. All right. No, I think for a long time I thought that those are the only two ways to deal with emotions, yeah. right? You either repress them because they just they lead to bad things, yeah. or you just you you spew them out, which also makes you look bad in the moment. Maybe it makes you feel better. Um, but uh, to uh, to me, uh, what I began to learn is that a healthy approach is to when you experience a strong emotion is to step back and ask yourself, where did this emotion come from? Mm. And when you actually take the time to go down the rabbit trails and figure out where those emotions come from, it can lead you to some really difficult realities about yourself, about the idols of your heart, um, about, um, what you, what you really value about, um, how you've developed as a person because of the result of your family of origin. Um, all of those things start to come to the surface. And when you actually, those are difficult questions to answer, but when you face those things and you actually uh, look at those things for what they are, it begins to change uh, your, your perception of what health really is and how you, how you experience your emotions in the moment. And that translates to a deeper spirituality and ultimately it, it affects your physical health, your emotional well-being, and, and uh, who you are as a leader and as a person. Yeah, I love that. I love that idea, Dan. And um, like as you were talking, I was thinking about it. It seems like it's instead of allowing yourself to kind of be controlled by your emotions, you are taking control of your own life and you're not um, negating your emotions, but you're realizing they have value. They have a purpose. They speak to something that's taking place within you. And if you're willing to engage with them in a healthy way, you can ultimately um, 
regain control of what's actually taking place. And I, I think that's so true because I, I think about how often in my life I can just be kind of led down the river of my emotions and allow it to take me wherever it wants to go. And I feel justified in the moment. Like I feel like this is 100% what I feel is true, but th- my emotions are controlling me, not the other way around. And what you're saying is this allows you to really take control of your life and um, gain access into kind of the depths of your own heart. And that, to, to your first point, that is, that's vital because you can't have a healthy church or organization um, until you first understand what, what it's like to be healthy inside of your own heart. Yeah, just think as a leader, you when you are emotionally unhealthy, there's so many things that you can miss, right? Maybe you won't have that healthy confrontation that you need to have. Uh, with someone who's creating conflict in your church. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you won't have that conversation that you need to have um, with someone on your ministry team. Um, you know, maybe you won't uh, address uh, some unhealth in your organization as a whole because you're still dealing with your own issues. And when you come to grips with that um, and you, you begin to work on your own emotional health, it frees you up to be able to do what God really designed you to do and be who you, he designed you to be. Um, for me, emotions are an indicator of something much deeper. And, and what I actually found is that um, I will feel something much faster than I understand what I'm feeling. And yeah. so you feel it, and it might take me two or three hours later to unwind why I felt the way I felt in a moment because our emotions are so deeply tied into us. And that's to me where it becomes a spiritual thing. When you begin to unwind that and and begin to see what is truly inside of your heart in those moments and how it got there. That's a spiritual experience, and that's powerful when you begin to work through it. I think unhealthy uh, emotions also have a way of um, creating untrue narratives. Absolutely, um, yes. And that's one of the most damaging things mm-hmm. in trying to move towards health as a leader. And leaders, I think, are especially leaders— Sometimes maybe you're out there listening, you're a leader, and you're like, I should rise above all this. But leaders are never going to rise above this because— essential to the leadership experience is getting hurt. Like you're going to be misunderstood because you're making hard decisions, right? You're trying to move people from A to B and you have a specific vision of what B is. You have a specific definition of what A is and you have a strategy to move them and people don't generally want to move nor will they agree on either of your definitions. And so, you know, Jim Bradford says it's just this sort of maxim of leadership. Leadership Leaders expect to get hurt. We don't want to get hurt. We don't look to be hurt, but we anticipate it. And so when you get hurt, your emotions generally wrap themselves around a narrative that you've created and that you fully buy into because it's your narrative. And so emotional health, I think, allows you to separate narrative and fact mm. And help good. in conversation navigate that. So if one of our listeners is like, I need to grow in this area of emotional health, maybe one of our co-hosts uh, is saying he needs to grow in this initi- this area of uh, emotional health, JB. Why are you looking um, at me? <laughs> any, re- any recommendations on resources? Uh, maybe a book somebody could read or anything like that? Sure. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, I think the one, one of the most obvious ones is Peter Scazzaro's Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Mm-hmm. It's a really good place to start. Um, I believe he has a podcast he does as well. Have a podcast. Yeah. yeah, I mean, no need to listen to that if you already listen to the Multiply podcast. Yeah. But if you've heard this episode, you've heard everything he pretty much has to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dr. Henry Cloud has uh, his book Boundaries, which yeah. is great, and he also has a book uh, Necessary Endings. I want to say it's called Choices That Heal or Changes That Heal, um, and both of those are really great, kind of yeah. emotional health. 
healing uh, uh, books for uh, is he a believer? Cre- is he, a Christian? he is, I believe okay. so, yeah. There's a, guy who's n- who, there's a guy who I don't believe is a Christian, but uh, Friedman wrote A Failure of Nerve, which is a sort of a classic leadership book on this topic. But he just doesn't, because I don't think he's a believer, he doesn't give a gospel um, solution, hmm. which a book like Even You Can Change would be a good book for, or um, what's that Paul David Tripp book? Uh, dangerous calling. Mm. Um, that's another one more. Yeah, specific to pastoral ministry, but it's yeah, yeah it's really good. All right. Well, you've shared with us kind of three thoughts. I know you got one more, right? To to bring us home. Yeah, and it's just just a, a pretty basic thought. But healthy is healthy is always growing, right? So mm. uh, health is not a static end state, right? It's not like okay, I arrive now, I'm healthy, and now I don't need to do anything more. Uh, health is is we're constantly moving, we're constantly growing, we're constantly adapting, we're constantly changing, and we're that means I'm always reading something new, I'm always listening to something new, I'm always engaging with ideas that are different from the ones that I hold, uh, digesting new and difficult truths that maybe are are uh, something that I'd rather not wrestle with. I think those things are all part of health, and so. Um, just this idea that, that um, it's not like if we look at our network, we say, okay, we've got this many healthy churches and this many unhealthy churches. I think we have churches that are all varying on the scales of health, but we're all trying to be a little bit more healthy. So even the church in our network that may be what we would call the most healthy, if we were able to truly assess it and give it a score, we can always get more healthy. There's no such thing as being perfectly healthy as a leader. And so, um, that just speaks to the ongoing nature of, of health in ministry and health and leadership. It's not something we can really shut off or turn off. I think it's something we've got to be continually working at um, because it's always there. Yeah, I love that. I, f- I feel like that speaks true to my experience in life where the most interesting, well-rounded, intelligent people are the ones who are constantly trying to learn and grow. <laughs> They're the ones that that are, uh, you got to speak into the mic if you're going to make <laughs> your... Thank you. <laughs> They're the ones that are constantly, they're reading, they're listening, they're growing. And and in particular, um, different perspectives, like you pointed out, Dan, you know, different points of view. To David's point, they're not getting locked into a a singular narrative that they believe because they're they're well-read, they're well-listened to from a variety of perspectives. And and I just, um, I, I don't feel like I see those type of people not do well or succeed in what they're doing because eventually when they're that hungry, you pick up enough stuff that um, it helps you with whatever you're going through. At least that's been my experience. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and when you think about the leaders who you th- who you admire as being healthy, that's what you're going to see in them. Mm-hmm. You're going to see that they are they're never sitting still. They're never kind of resting on what they already know and what they've already done and uh, the, the the mountains they've already climbed. They're always climbing something new and they're always learning something new and they're always taking on something new. And um, and the moment you stop doing that is the moment you start to to move back in the wrong direction. So, um, how do we de- how do you develop that if you don't have a hunger? If someone says my default is not really have this hunger desire to learn, how do you help somebody with that? Or are they, as you said before, hopeless? <laughs> <laughs> uh, gosh, I don't know. I think. Um, yeah, I, I think I think we all just have to start at, at, at whatever level works for us. So I think it's easy to compare yourself to somebody else and mm-hmm. and see kind of the level of stuff that they're processing and the level of challenges they're taking on and mm-hmm. to just feel really inadequate. And I think that inadequacy and shame is debilitating. It kind of just shuts you down. 
Um, but you have to start where you're at, you know, start working on the problems that you're facing and start, um, um, learning in the area that affects you, right? Don't worry about what everybody else is doing. Don't look at what everybody else around you is doing. Otherwise it'll, it'll cripple you. And I think, um, if you can do that, if you can grow just a little bit every day, you're going to start to see yourself make progress. And that's the thing. You're not, you're not trying to get catch up to someone who might be 20 or even 30 years ahead of you in ministry or in terms of how they think. You're just trying to get better for who you are, uh, for what you're doing one day at a time. Yeah. I think too, that you can, um, you know, share your discoveries with others, you know, the way in which you're growing and learning Mm. and maybe, um, that might help. So if you're a pastor of a large church and you're with pastors who look up to you, your ability to be transparent enough to say, like, here's what we've learned. Here's what we've done wrong. Here's how we're growing. Here's how we're tweaking. It sort of maybe communicates that, like, they might walk away thinking, well, if that person's still learning, I should still be learning. And, I mean, all of this conversation, too, is, of course, we know this, but from a Christian perspective, this is more than just about achievement or success or arriving, which, as you pointed out in your last point, you don't really arrive it's really about stewardship of the gifts God has given us, the opportunities God has given us, and giving all the glory to God by doing everything we have with all of our hearts uh, and all of our heart and all of our strength and to do it with excellence. And, and I, I love what you're saying that, you know, as we move towards health, God brings that growth. True. And it may not be the growth that we might think of growth quantitatively, but sometimes God wants to bring some qualitative growth first to our church or to our organization, grow the strength of who we are, before he begins to add to our numbers. And right. um, it's important to have that strong foundation. Otherwise, you're adding to an unhealthy foundation. Well, sounds like you two have learned a lot today. <laughs> and um, and I'm excited as your friend to benefit from that. Um, this is this is a great. Dan, thank you for being with us. Now, yeah. before we go, um, I know you don't listen to the podcast, but one of the one of the favorites of our audience is a little portion we do called David's Eats, where we we not only want to create better leaders but also better eaters. Mm-hmm. Now I'm excited for this because if you know Dan, you, one thing you know about him is he is the world's most boring eater. <laughs> that is true, David. I happily acknowledge that. Yes, I agree. <laughs> so this is going to be a lot of fun, <laughs> Dan. Tell us in the last few weeks what is the best thing you've eaten. Oh, you're putting this on me. Yeah, you're oh, the guest. That's wow. how the podcast works. When you're the guest, wow. you got to answer. Oh, I thought this was David's section. All well, right. it's his. It's named know, after me. It's inspired when by. It's him. just the two of us. I answer. <laughs> he obviously never listens to the episodes with guests because he only likes us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's the best thing you've eaten, Dan? Uh, well, um, cooked some steaks on the grill mm. a couple uh, Sundays okay. ago, and yeah, it was good. Well, you got to give us more than that. How did you cook these steaks? Because uh, David has a very particular what was, way. Not, what was a cut of steak? Do you remember? Uh, I believe, I believe I did a ribeye. Oh, yeah. oh wow, Juicy. it was good. Yeah. yeah, a lot of fat in the ribeye. Yeah, it was nice. Uh, I'm not, I'm not by any means a foodie, so I can't really tell you a whole lot. Did some simple seasoning. And did you use uh, any truffle uh, oil? <laughs> no, I did not. Oh, did you smoke it? Um, no. Oh, he didn't do a 14-hour smoke on it? Did you dry age it for two weeks? Just kidding. <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm learning so much Listen, right now. salt and pepper and meat and fat and fire, you can't Boom. mess it up. That's it. They've been doing that for thousands a, of years, yeah. and it yeah. still works. I'm a meat and potatoes guy, so yeah. it's about as complicated as Well, hey, a, a prime rib, that's that's pretty good for, yeah. for uh, David's eats. Yep. God bless you, 
because, you know, by sticking to meat and potatoes, you open up a world for the rest of us. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Dan, thanks for being with us. We're we're excited to have you back in uh, another two years or so. Awesome. Thanks for your next job transition. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, everybody. This is Multiply Podcast. We'll see you next time.